It's not easy. Winning's hard. These guys should be so proud. This is organic. This is hey, this is what happiness is. Oh God, hold on. Oh, 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 oh. You're listening to the Selfie Is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby Is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. The White Sox swore there would be buttocks clenched, and in the end, there was only a division clinched. I'm TJ. That's Zach. I have to know what sort of looks and smells you got at the airport considering you emerged from a clubhouse where you got drenched. Sights and sounds coming up. The veteran move is bring a change of clothes. The non-veteran move is... Surely didn't see this coming. (laughs) Mandy (laughs) Bell has so many receipts of her asking, there's no way they clinch on this road trip, right? Like weeks in advance and me saying, no chance, they'd have to be up like nine games. Even at the beginning of the week, we were doing the math, and then every day thereafter. And so, yeah, I had a change of clothes, but you know, you always think about, should I have a poncho? Should I have a Ziploc bag for my phone? Should I have a hat? You know, a lot of things that there was no time for, because this team waited for no one. That's the thing about this squad. Not only the fact that they win the division, which became increasingly more pertinent as this went on that they're going to win this division. They take care of Minnesota. They take care of Chicago. We'll talk about all of those particulars, but even the fact of when they were going to clinch felt like it snuck up on all of us. Now, part of it took the white Sox continuing their collapse and looking like they were disinterested, much like they had spent the majority of the season, which now reflecting back on it makes all of those takes about if the white Sox go 15 and three, even more ridiculous because, as you said on the Patreon show, when did they do that all throughout the season? Mm-hmm. But it snuck up that it was even going to be this weekend, that it had just taken place. I think you had texted me on Friday, as recently as Friday. Is this going to happen this weekend? <laughs> Didn't so, you anticipate them at least having some sort of letdown when, when they come off of the series, the, the series that they had against Minnesota and Chicago. They go to Texas. I was anticipating them losing on Friday, not this squad. To hell with that. Like, at no point. Like, they didn't have that one game where it was just like, oh, starting pitcher X just didn't have it today, and they lost 8-4. to four. You know, and even, even when the offense, it looks like, well, like Friday night is the perfect example. You're right. I mean, they played Thursday night. That was not a getaway day. And they swept Chicago, and that meant a lot to them. And they get to Texas, and they're facing a really good starting pitcher in John Gray. And you're like, hey, I I said, I'm like, if they're going to lose a game, it's going to be this one. And would they have one hit through five innings? And then they had six hits in the sixth. And it's like that inning was the perfect encapsulation of what the offense has been about all season. So they have, I mean, you can use any cliche you want. They've kept the pedal to the floor. Um, they've, they've, they've had no mercy over the last few weeks and 
they have looked like the team that is most confident. They, like It's like they believe they're the most talented team in the division. And you're going to look at the standings at the end of the season. You're going to be like, man, the Central sucked. But part of that is the Guardians just curb stomped the two main competitors for the division title. And I don't think anyone could have foreseen this because we were saying, remember the, the nine games that they had in a row against Chicago and Minnesota, we said, just survive them, you know, just, just do what you can. And, you know, then you got Kansas city at the end, so you can make up some ground then jokes <laughs> on us. I know you're not a big movie guy, but it just reminds me of in office space when they've finally had enough. Oh, of the when Milton has the stapler. No, no, not at all. Though they did kind of burn down this division. No, it's when they take the printer out to the field and just beat it to hell with a baseball bat, with the montage in the background, that they finally, they've had enough. That was Cleveland. So yeah, you will look at this division at the end and, and perhaps see every team being below 500, but it ends up that way because Cleveland reached through their chest, grabbed the hearts of their opponents, and then proceeded to rip them out of their chests and show it to them, still beating in their face. Their souls ripped from their bodies. That's what the Wait, Guardians did. They did. That's what happens in office space? You've got to watch more movies, dude. <laughs> Michael Bolton? I'm thinking of the scene in Dumb and Dumber when he takes the heart out of the chest of the guy. He opens up the doggy bag, throws it in, crumples it up, and hands it back to him. Jim Carrey. You've never even seen Dumb and Dumber. Come on, come on. How I do a show with you Jeff is Daniels, beyond right? me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was he was part of that. Is movie. that the one yeah. that's where they say, so you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> and was there a chance for the Guardians this year? Was it one in a million to begin this season? They're the division champs, dude. It was about one in 11. <laughs> Let's revisit a, a conversation we had, I think, in the offseason when you asked me, is there a better chance that they finish in first or in last? And I'm pretty sure I said first, and I'm uh, like 95% sure that you said last. So if we're going to play the game of you accusing uh. me of telling you that they were not going to be better in the second half and at the end <laughs> of the season, then I'm going to turn this back around on you, and I'm going to say that you said it's a better chance that they finish in last than in first. Defend I yourself. Thought, I did not know where to put them. Part of that is because I didn't know what to make of the Tigers or the Twins, but I, I think I said that they'd, they could finish anywhere from second to fifth. I thought the White Sox were going to like win the World Series. And Meisel jinxed them, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, this division, I've said it a bunch of times. Like, if you're the White Sox, if you're the Twins, you can't let this happen this year because this team is positioned to just not give this back for a long time. And that doesn't mean that they won't have competition next year. The White Sox will still be good. I, I never know which way the Twins are going. But, again, like I, I said it last week, you look around the division, like the White Sox are a mess, and in part because of the Guardians. The Twins can't figure out what they're doing, and they have Derek Falvey in charge, who came from Cleveland, and he's trying to sort of replicate some things, and it's not quite there yet. And then the Royals and Tigers cleaned out their front offices because they did these long-term rebuilds that haven't been fruitful yet. And in Cleveland, they did a one-year recalibration. Like, 
Nine, it took a few years and they traded away some people and had to build things up, but they had one losing season and that losing season was 80 and 82. It wasn't 57 and 105 like they're accustomed to in Baltimore and Kansas City and Detroit and Pittsburgh. It's it's weird, you know, give the front office so much credit for scouting, for identifying talent, for developing talent. This is a team full of 23-year-olds, and it's winning because those 23-year-olds are prepared to thrive in the majors. Give them tons of credit. It's also, they've, they've, they've done a good job of maybe not making certain moves too, right? If they trade for Jesse Winker, is Stephen Kwan Stephen Kwan? Do we see Oscar Gonzalez? If there's no if there's a rule five draft, we certainly don't see Oscar Gonzalez. Um, you know, I I I think this season has worked out very strange. I mean, if the the big thing, the the, the thing that set the tone for this season, and it was really cool seeing Chris Antonetti embrace Jose Ramirez yesterday, like off to the side when it was mass chaos <laughs> throughout the clubhouse, and they shared a nice moment. And Antonetti told him, look. We really appreciate you committing to us long term. And none of this would have been possible without that. And you think about, I mean, that was the day before the season started. It was it was the last day of spring training. And if that doesn't happen, he's probably a Blue Jay or a Padre. And like, yeah, you're probably still excited about Stephen Kwan and Oscar Gonzalez, but you're not watching them spray each other with champagne and eat tons of pizza and dance to I'm blue by Eiffel 65. No, this is the new version of that. This but is did what they the play? youth, I thought they played the old I'm listening version. to. Was it? I, I listened to your, it was in your video, wasn't it? That you tweeted know. out. I, I think my ear, I had somebody, ear in my ears. somebody had it. I'm pretty sure there's like a reworked version that all of our millennial brains go, no, it's blue. Yeah, no, that was not it. I don't. I think it's the new version that I would not know exists if not for TikTok. So I don't know. The point is, I'm old. You're old. The last time we saw a team really go through the sort of celebration that this team had. And, I, and I'm talking about just being super excited was 2016 when all of the players were kind of in the same age bracket as us. Now, how mm. different is it watching it from your perspective? And I'm slightly older than you, but <laughs> I mean, I consider us to be about the same age. And you're not now watching players that Austin Hedges is joking about not being old enough to drink. I've got to know more of the sights and sounds from inside that clubhouse before we get into some of the particulars of breaking down the season and how we got here. Yeah, it's funny because like 2016, it happened in Detroit, and you're I'm like, I'm like man, I'm jealous. Like, can't wait to get out of here and throw a few back myself. And then yesterday, I'm watching like Trevor Steffen laying on the ground, inviting his teammates to just pour beer all over him. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're not get, like that's not gonna come out in the wash. <laughs> like, and just like people just chugging beers and spraying champagne. I'm like, ooh. That's going to hurt tomorrow. Good thing you have an off day. <laughs> uh, yeah, can we get the carpet scrubber in here? That is <laughs> never going to come out. That's never going to come out. It's it's so different. But I that it's the cool thing is this team is so young that like Will Brennan a week ago was playing in Columbus. 
and look at him now. Um, or, or like all the different rookies. You know, Cody Morris, who was hoping to make the opening day roster and then gets injured and misses most of the season. Like, you think he ever imagined, oh, well, I know in late September I'm going to be spraying champagne with all the teammates on the Guardians. Like, you just, you think about, like or like Josh Naylor. Like, that dude never, he didn't know if he was ever going to play again. So, I think it was a group that was going to savor the moment. I think that's partially why they refused to indulge in like looking ahead. And as that magic number, I mean, it didn't like dwindle it. It was like, what's, what's like the demon drop at, at Cedar point or the tower of power or whatever. The thing that just, you start at the top and it just plummets to the ground as, as the magic number plummeted, like they weren't like, Oh yeah. Like we're really excited. Only, couple more wins ago I mean they were and you saw it on the field I mean they were still advancing first to third at every opportunity on Sunday a ground ball to third base results in two runs like they were still doing all of those things um, because I think they wanted to make a statement and just get to the finish line as quickly as they could so yeah I mean it, it, it's it was a group that I think really cherished the opportunity to, to do what they did. And as they should, they've earned it. And I know many have said, it feels like they're playing with a, a, some element of house money here because they're not supposed to be here. So they don't have to feel the pressure that every other team in the division felt. I'm sure the white Sox, every time that they had a game where they didn't live up to their own expectations, felt that immense pressure on themselves. The twins, as they built up their lead and they made some, Uh, acquisitions at the deadline. I know they were hurt by injuries, but at the same time, every time Cleveland maintained where they were at in the standings or inched closer to them, they had to feel that pressure. And Chicago just assumed that Cleveland would feel that similar thing because they had been feeling it all season long, even though Elvis Andrews had just dropped in five minutes before he talked about (laughs) Cleveland crumbling. Cleveland never felt that because they didn't have to feel that this year. No one anticipated that they would be here. Many people picked them to finish anywhere from third to fifth. There were many, and Cleveland pointed it out inside the videos that they tweeted out, and good for them. Embrace that. Embrace that. The team certainly has. And I like, I will give Cleveland's social media some credit. They had that video where they they put the receipts out of everyone picking them last. I'll give them credit because they didn't, like, personally put anyone on blast. It was just nameless, faceless predictions. You could do that with anybody. You could do that with our show. There have been many things that we have said we thought were going to play out, and this team has blown us away with the way that they've played. We could look individually at at people that we were cynical about or at least had some questions about that they answered positively this year. I'll give Cleveland some credit because they had fun with it, but it wasn't just about a personal putting anybody on blast and get somebody into their, all the fans into somebody's mentions and, and rip them apart. Maybe some people deserve that because they bring that on and they kind of welcome that. But I think that was a, a, a good use of, of just playfully embracing what this team has been about this year. It, and of course they didn't stop going first to third. They love that. They love <laughs> stealing the souls from their opponents. They love the, the amount of dumbfounded looks that all the teams give each other as they watch Cleveland go about playing the game the way that they have. And the way that many people have said that they enjoy seeing a team play the way Cleveland has. 
that it's sort of a throwback style to the way the game used to be played. But I will say, it's not as simple as just make your team do the things that Cleveland does. They excel playing the way that they play because of the sorts of players that they have. And I don't even think they would be as married to contact if they would as they are if they had a different sort of skill set. I just feel like the coaches, the assistants, Chris Faleka, the front office, I think they've just looked at this is the group that we have. So how do we go about getting the most out of their ability? And for this team, it's going to be making a difference on the bases. It's going to be putting the ball in place, spraying it everywhere, making it difficult to defend us. And if we hit the ball on the ground, we're going to bust ass to first base. This is just the way that they've played this year because it's the only way this team can succeed. Okay, a couple things. One, I don't think, if, you know, if you predicted them to finish third or fourth or whatever, or win 75 games, like, you, that's okay. The Vegas win total is 76.5. Like, that's not like, and, and I, I hate when people say, well, they won 80 games last year and they had all these injuries. Like, that's not how this works. Then why didn't the Tigers win 90 games this year? You know what I mean? Like, that's it's not linear. I mean, the the Guardians went to the World Series. They they, they had Edwin Encarnacion. They added him. And remember, they were like 45 and 45. And yes, then they went nuclear. Um, but then they brought back the same team and they won like 90. Like, it, it's just, it's not linear year to year. And I think... I think the main thing about this team, because also it's a totally different team than last year. The lineup is completely different. And the people they're relying on are not people you would have expected them to rely on if you predicted them to win 90 games. Anyway, I think this team had to prove it to themselves too. And yes, they paid attention. They are well aware of Elvis Andrews' quotes. Um, they're well aware of how people felt about the White Sox coming into the season and that everyone just assumed the White Sox would catch fire at some point. But they had to prove it to themselves because they're so young and they haven't done it before. Stephen Kwan had to prove to himself that he could sustain this for 162 games because he's never played 162 games. You know, Oscar Gonzalez had to prove that he could actually hit and drive the ball the other way and hit line drives before he could start swinging for the fences. And look how that's turned out. You know, Andres Jimenez had to prove that he could be an everyday player, let alone an all-star. Naylor had to prove that he could stay healthy for a full season. You know, there's a lot. A lot of guys who felt like they had something to prove. And until that all happens, until you check those boxes, you have no idea what you have. I don't think anyone in this organization knew what they had. I think... You bring up some interesting points about the hitting philosophy. You know, Chris Valeka gets hired, and then the lockout starts. And he's not allowed to talk to anybody. He's not allowed to get to know these hitters. So he spent those, what, 99 days just analyzing all the video he could, reading about these guys' backgrounds, trying to get a sense of who they were before he actually like met with them. And I think during that time is when he said, look, this is what we're going to have to do because these are the hitters we have. And that could change over time. And there's been turnover. 
But like, remember, Bobby Bradley was in the opening day lineup and then like he didn't play forever. And then they got ties with him because he didn't fit. That's not the style of baseball that was going to help them win. So Vileka said it first day of spring training, meeting with all the hitters. Look, this is who we have to be because this is the only way that we're going to be able to survive. And Terry Francona from day one talked to Jose Ramirez and said, hey, I need you and Ahmed Rosario to run with reckless abandon because we have a lot of young, aggressive base runners who have speed. And if we can get guys on base and we can run like crazy, we can score some runs. We don't have much power. That became even more evident when Framil Reyes never got going. So they had the identity in mind. I think it took some time to to make it work. And, you know, it looked for the first month, it was like, ooh, like the offense is what carried them. The pitching is it was struggling. Then it had a downturn, kind of coincided with with Quan's struggles in May. And there have been rough patches throughout. But the one thing, you know, going first to third doesn't slump. You know, you might not be getting on base as much, but that doesn't mean, you know, you can still be aggressive 100% of the time and opportunistic 100% of the time. And that's what they tried to instill in them, on, on this team. And it's worked. And it's, you know, I, 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 I talked to another American League scout over the weekend who we were just kind of going over the landscape of the American League and um, he was saying, I don't, uh, Cleveland is a scary team because if you don't catch them during one of those just outages that we saw against Seattle earlier this month, they're so hard to play and they annoy the hell out of you. And if you're a fielder or you're a pitcher, all you're thinking about is making sure I get this ball to the right base at the right time and I don't hesitate and I don't screw up. And it's, just, it's, it's a pain to play. Let alone the fact that like the pitching staff has just been thriving for a while. It's like they've gotten themselves to a really good place. But if you said, oh, I know that they're going to play this style and they're going to be peaking in September because all these guys are going to finally have the confidence in themselves. Come on. That's why I'm not going to blame anyone for predicting that they win 70 some games. It was understandable at the time. It's not even just individuals, too. It's computer models that spit out percentages, and there's no personal bias there. They're just looking at what's predictable. What has been predictable in the past? Can that re- be replicated? How does that apply to this current group? The, the thing is, this team has changed so much. I think you, you hit on a great point. If you looked at the team in April and based your predictions off of that, it's completely different than where they're at today. Now, a lot of the players that have come up, we didn't know what Oscar Gonzalez was going to be. We didn't know that Andres Jimenez was going to have the type of season that he was going to have. We didn't know if Josh Naylor was going to be able to stay healthy throughout an entire season. We didn't know if Tristan McKenzie was going to be capable of of looking and, and pitching and giving you the sort of volume that you would expect from a major league star level pitcher. There's a lot of unknowns there that, now we have the beauty of knowing that these things are going to play out. So it's a completely different team with a completely different set of, of questions. The one thing I will say, and I find it annoying, when you do look bad in a prediction or a thought, on some level you just have to own it. 
there are there are too many times where it's like, yeah, the Guardians are playing well, but this shouldn't be predictable. This shouldn't be <laughs> replicated. This shouldn't be this. Their offense is this. And I was wrong, but actually, I'm still right. We can debate some of those things, but it gets a little annoying to me. <laughs> it's like you still have to justify your position. And so you look at it a certain way. And I've even heard some of that. Well, the Guardians, they're not a juggernaut offensively. So was I really wrong about this team? Yes, just own it. Take the medicine. Say yes, <laughs> I was wrong. Here are some of the things that maybe I question how it will translate in the playoffs, whether or not this is a sustainable thing for next year and the year after that. But for the way this season played out, I was wrong. And it's okay to admit those things. If we knew everything about everything that was going to take place, then why would anyone watch the games? You would just sit here with this show and we would tell you how everything's going to go. And it wouldn't be fun to watch the games play out. This season was so fun because it was so unpredictable because Mm -hmm. nobody thought it was going to play out this way. That's what makes watching a television show fun. The twists and turns and not know if I could just predict the way that House of the Dragon was going to end. Well, I mean, I guess I kind of can because I could just watch Game of Thrones and go forward 200 years. But then I would not watch the show. So those Wait, are the fun seasons the ins of Game and outs. of Thrones are there? Well, apparently people just don't talk about the last one. I don't really have that big of an issue 200? with the last season. But I played catch up like years after the show was over. So I think... I think we forget about, I think we romanticize the past to shit on the future or the present. Look, people want to say, oh, they just want a crappy division. Someone had to win it. Guess what? I hate to break this to you, lover of the 90s Indians and believer that nothing will ever compare to those teams. The AL Central in the 90s sucked. It was so bad. It was worse than it is now. And yes, the 95 team just steamrolled everybody. Fine. The 97 team won 86 games. 86. This current team has won 86 games and they have nine to play. So I think you need to try to remember that one, anything can happen in October. Everybody thinks 2016 was some juggernaut because they went to Game 7 of the World Series. Nobody thought that team would go far. They had no pitching. Brantley was out. They had no business going where they went. And if you look at that lineup, do you have more faith in the current lineup with Quan, Jose, Jimenez, Gonzalez, Naylor, Will Brennan? Or do you prefer the 2016 lineup with Napoli, Rajay Davis, Jose, but a very different Jose, Lindor and Kipnis, Santana? You might still, you probably prefer 2016, but it's not like that was Murderer's Row. No. And you will as you said, romanticize that too. Let's not forget the fact that Napoli, it was not the same Napoli as we had seen earlier in this season. Mm-hmm. The, we had a, a bunch of questions about what you were going to get out of Roberto Perez behind the plate. Now, he ended up having a pretty good postseason, definitely defensively, but also hit some massive home runs, started the three 
the back-to-back-to-back? Or was it just three in the inning off of Porcello? I think three in a span of four batters. Yeah, that that's right. That seems right. Two in a World Series game. So, yeah, you think you look back on 2016 and you just assume, oh, everything everything was great with that offense. Well, I, I didn't know that Monty Chisinau was going to play off a lefty and hit a three-run bomb off of David Price. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that was going to happen. I don't think I would have well, predicted well, that. He was stealing signs, remember? Oh, that's right. That's right. I think it's important as a Cleveland fan today, I've already seen it in my mentions as far as this division sucks or people see the celebration that they had in the clubhouse, act like you've been there before. Really? For this team, you want to say that? I mean, I, I, I've always been on the side of enjoy every milestone you can because you don't know how long this is going to last as a major league player. Just in your life, embrace small victories. I don't have a problem with that. Does it get a little annoying if, like, this Guardians team had won five divisions in a row and they're still going crazy after winning a maybe a down division? Okay, maybe that would I, I would roll my eyes at that a little bit. For, but for this team, are you kidding me? Don't take the bait. That's my word of advice for anyone today. Don't take the bait. Don't let anyone shit on your enjoyment today. Don't let anyone steal any of your joy through their stupidity. And most of the time, they're in there just to troll you just to get a reaction. That's all they want. Don't feed the beast. Don't take the bait. Yeah, Terry Francona said it best. They held a team meeting about 90 minutes before first pitch. And he told the guys, look, whenever this happens, you've earned the right to just blow it out because of the way you've played, how hard you've worked to get to this point. He said, I'll sit in my office all night and you guys can just yell and shout I don't care when we get home. Now, it helps that they had an off day to follow. I don't think anyone would be feeling that way if uh, there was a 105 first pitch the next afternoon. But yeah, I, I think that first time is special. And look, it's been four years since they won a division title. I know they clinched a playoff spot in 2020 and they had like a, a mini socially distanced celebration. But it's been four years. And the only players still on the roster are Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber. So there are a lot of people in there who had never done it. There are a lot of people who played a big role. I mean, they the, the team flew down a bunch of front office people just to be there in case they clinched. clinched. And you could see like, like Chernoff and Antonetti were really proud and hugging and taking a selfie in, in the celebration and you know player development staff were there too and you know obviously the coaches are there Terry Francona praised them endlessly so a lot of people had a hand in this and you have to when you have a team this young that as everyone has said has has arrived early um, and I think. So, yeah, I, I think it's something to be proud of. I, I People just hate... Everybody wants to be miserable in all facets of life, especially <laughs> on social media. And if, Everybody wants to be and miserable. And if someone else is having fun while I'm miserable, I want to drag them into <laughs> my misery. It's like every time I get a text message from you. I'm having a whoa, good whoa, day. Whoa. Zach's coming in here with some level of cynicism about something. And just blowing it out. No, no, no. We can't have everyone feeling joy today. 
speaking of blowing it out, this was a first. My flight home last night was delayed about 40 minutes because someone clogged the toilet at the back of the plane. <laughs> so I'm assuming it was someone on the flight coming into Dallas. So your boy got home at about 1.15 in the morning or landed at 1.15 in the morning and the fans who had showed up for the team plane about three hours earlier did not stick around. <laughs> just a picture in the dude in the hot dog costume that just drove his hot dog mobile <laughs> through the wall. Yeah, we're all looking for the guy who did this. <laughs> dude, I just saw you come out of the bathroom. It was you. No, I don't know who it was. We should probably find out who that was. Can we confirm that it was not you? That's first and foremost. I know everyone I wants to, to see, know. Everyone. I had to see toward the front. It was all the way in the back of the plane. And yeah, I think it was the flight coming in. Um, but yeah, that was a first. 40 minutes. Well, what uh, did they people eat? Probably, people probably wanted to... Uh, flush that as much as you wanted to flush the misel jinx <laughs> that friends I have to say earlier this year we laid to rest the misel jinx it is no longer a part of our show it is no longer a part of Zach's mantra it is now gone to be remembered, something you can scream about, shake your fist about, and remember all of the things that it ruined, but it is no more. It fades away just like anything in our lives, but we'll live on in infamy in our memories. Any parting words to your jinx that is no more? I think by laying it to rest, you're jinxing that it's dead. And now it's going to resurface. Nope. nope. We are just paying it its proper respects. I think that's important. That we pay the respects to the jinx. We don't dismiss it. We just say that it's, it's now gone. And you believe that it's gone. And it's through that belief that we all live on having fulfilling lives. Not impacted by that stupid jinx. Wait, I said that they would finish anywhere but first, and they finished first. Is that a reverse jinx? I don't pretend to know the way the magic works, dude. Let me ask a different question. Because I feel like... You're right, I've been at all these games, and they just keep winning and winning and winning. Do you remember the last time they lost? No. <laughs> you could argue that their last two losses were basically like planned. Remember, they had the Hunter Gaddis game on the Thursday. Yes. They punted that. And then on the Sunday, the day after that 15 inning marathon where they swept the Twins and pretty much ended the Twins season and were in great shape in the division and they had a sleepy hangover. It was like a three, nothing loss or something. 
Like it's hard to even fault them for that, especially since they rebounded the very next day. But like, okay, aside from those, like when's the last time they like lost a game and you're, it was the class A game, right? Yeah. Where it was like, wow, you shouldn't have lost this. That's the, that was almost three (laughs) weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's been incredible. They're what, 16 and two in their last 18 Mm -hmm. and something like 18 and three in their last 21. So it's something ridiculous. Like this isn't, this isn't the 22 game winning streak, but it's like the poor man's 22 game losing winning streak. (laughs) It's an, it's an impressive feat in a far different way. What I find impressive about it, not just the stretch itself, but the level of pressure that this team should have felt, should have been feeling. Whether or not the division is, a, is the best in baseball or the worst in baseball, it doesn't change the fact that they had a one-and-a-half game lead a couple of weeks ago, and they were getting ready to play the teams that were chasing them directly. So there will be a lot of things to, to remember about this year. And I'm looking forward to that. At some point this offseason, we'll go through just some of the meaningful moments of this year. Times where it, it just felt like the season changed. It, the one that comes to mind is, is the, the Naylor one in Chicago. That comeback, it almost sparked to me the fact that this team, not that they were for real, but they were dangerous and that they were going to be a team that was going to hang around for a lot of this season. Whatever happens in the playoffs, because it is just so much of a crapshoot, I'm going to look at that through a different lens. What I may never forget is the way that they entered that stretch with no level of a previous experience to draw upon. Being youthful and outside of a couple of guys not knowing what to expect, facing the teams that had to chase you down. A series against Minnesota where five games we said they needed to win four. Minnesota did to remain alive and make things interesting. Cleveland went in and and took four of five. from. They did the thing that Minnesota needed to do. Then they play Chicago. Chicago needed to sweep them. Cleveland did the thing to them that they needed to do to Cleveland. I will never forget the fact that they just went and played those teams straight up head-to-head. It wasn't like, eh, well, you got some help because uh, they, they played Chicago or they played Detroit and Detroit uh, helped you out. They shouldn't have lost those. No, you went to them and beat the living hell out of them. I will never forget that fact. That was one of the most epic flexes I think we've seen from this team, I don't know, the past 10, 20, 25 years. To do that, I will never stop giving them credit for that, no matter what this season, no matter where it takes us. So at The Athletic, we love to do roundtables or like just back and forth conversation type pieces and we do them all the time with the AL Central and we usually kick out our Royals and Tigers writers and so James Fegan our White Sox guy and Dan Hayes our our twins guy you know we we get together a number of times throughout the season and just dish on the state of the AL Central right and we did one before the stretch and no one really thought the Guardians were going to win it. And even, even let me rephrase that. Even if they thought the Guardians were going to win it, it was very backhanded. It was, well, my team is just like 
really injured or just has Tony LaRussa as a manager, so guess Cleveland might win it. <laughs> anyway, as I'm just in a haze in the, well, no pun intended, Dan Hayes. Literally as and I'm figuratively. In, <laughs> as I'm in a haze in the uh, clubhouse during the, the hoopla yesterday, I notice on my phone, James and Dan are texting back and forth saying, so should we do a, like, a loser's edition of this and Zach can moderate it? Should we just, should we just, like, lay to rest the teams we cover? It was, like, the the saddest conversation I've ever read. Um, one of them had, you know the scene in, uh, I'm going to make a movie reference. You know the scene in Happy Gilmore? When it's it's Chubbs, the alligator, or crocodile. Which which reptile bit his hand off? Croc- alligator, crocodile? maybe alligator. I don't know. There, there's a few people like in the in the sky who have died. Yeah, and they're waving. And that that was one of them said like the rest of the AL Central teams wishing the Guardians good luck in the postseason. I thought that was perfect. It has felt like that for much of the year, that even when Cleveland has gotten compliments, it's been backhanded. It's, uh, well, (laughs) you know, this is going to be a quick exit. So it doesn't really matter who makes the playoffs from this division. They're going to get swept out of the wild card round. Says who? Could it happen? Sure. Could See, the thing is, the playoffs, we're going to predict it at some point. When we know who the opponent is for sure, we'll, We'll go through what we think is going to happen, but the playoffs, none of it matters. Especially now a three-game series to begin things. None of that matters. What we think entering the playoffs, who we believe a team is, it doesn't matter because we throw all of the short sample size nonsense that we like to gloss over because it's not meaningful. It's not predictable. It is now the only thing you care about. Small size bullshit. Things happen. Crazy things happen. You could have the best closer on the planet blow a game, completely changes the series. Or you could have this Cleveland offense just be clicking for three games and put up eight runs in every single one of them. It's it's weird. It's the playoffs. You can't predict that. And that's the fun of it. Again, to come back to the theme here, we can talk about whether or not we were wrong, but that's good. I welcome that. I'm glad that we still get some joy out of seeing things happen that we didn't expect to happen. Can we talk a little bit about what the pitching plan is and how they're setting things up for the playoffs? We can actually do the three. We can do the thing. Hmm. Who would you go with? Doesn't matter who I would go with because they have who they are going to go with. McCarty? He's been great. Some flip-flopping around here with the pitchers to set things up properly. Yeah, it's uh, pretty straightforward. The only thing that can interfere here is Mother Nature, who sure wouldn't tempt her, given hey. what she's done this hey. season. The jinx is dead. Don't try to bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> yeah, they uh, flipped Bieber McKenzie, so Bieber will pitch Tuesday, McKenzie Wednesday. And if you do the math and look ahead, that makes Bieber go on regular rest for Game One. And McKenzie for game two. Quantrill is pitching Thursday, so he'd be ready for game three. 
Zach Plesak tentatively scheduled to pitch Friday. But there's no game four in the opening round. So I don't know what's going to happen. What do they do with him? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You got him. You got Savali, who's looked pretty good in his last two outings. You've got Cody Morris, who's looked pretty good. I'm not I would sure. Take Cody Morris right now yeah. over Plesak. It's a best of three series in the opening round. So how many pitchers do you need? What is the role for those right. guys? Like, you know, I don't know that you're going to bring Savali in in like the seventh inning to get a couple big outs. I'm not sure. It's going to be really interesting. And then, you know, the playoff schedule, you can't just, you have to take it one series at a time, obviously, but like there are, they eliminate a bunch of travel days. You still have to travel. You just don't get the day off. Great for Raiders. Um, so you're going to need like the 2016 Indians never would have been able to survive on this schedule. I think the ALCS, there's games three, four, five, six, and seven happen on consecutive days. So do you want to go five starters? Do you go four and pitch someone on short rest? Like there's, it's going to be tricky if if you get to that point, but you worry about that when you get there. Um, for a three-game series, I don't know. I mean, you know the three starters. I just don't know how you use other people right. or if, if you need to use other people. Yeah, I, w- I would think you would easily need one guy that can give you multiple innings, if not two. So Cody Morris could have a role. You might want him to go one time through a lineup. I think some of the fact that there's unfamiliarity there with the potential team that you're facing Maybe that plays to your advantage. We saw that work for Ryan Merritt a couple of times through the lineup. They didn't know what to expect from that. And because he's so unconventional as far as the speed that you're facing, it, it made it for a situation that worked out. So maybe they draw on that as opposed to going with a more of a traditional starter just occupying a bullpen spot. It'll be fun to see how they, they put that together. I would think in a series like this, it would be beneficial to have an extra position player to have some leeway on some late-game mixing and matching. Is Will Brennan penciled into that starting spot against right-handed pitching? Have we already seen enough? I would say, based on the actions that they have shown us, if they're facing a right-handed pitcher, I think Will Brennan's in the lineup in the playoffs. I think so, too. Pretty crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. It's also pretty wild that I feel like their offense feels more complete with him in that spot. Mm. Why do I feel like that? Because he fits. He makes a lot of contact, steals bases, patient hitter. I mean, it's... I mean, we've said it. Like, why was he not up sooner? But he... He fits perfectly. So it makes sense. I mean, he sort of, especially when Straw's going well, the lineup just, it's night and day better. You can live with the catchers hitting the way they are if you're getting something out of the seven spot and something out of the nine spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, two thoughts that come to mind. One, if you're trying to judge this offense the way that you judge every other offense by looking at their expected stats or to look 
specifically at what the team's slugging percentage is, you are, you're doing it wrong. That's not the way they're constructed. It's like looking at a running team in football and looking at their passing stats. That's not how they're going to go win the game. So that's the first thing. The second thing, as we've sort of touched on, when you say, here is where the Guardians rank for the entirety of the season, it's not that you throw away those numbers, but they're not entirely predictable to me about what is going to happen moving forward because this is not the same offense. And they know so much more about the way that they need to succeed as an offense. So it's it's not that I think they are a top five, top ten team in baseball, but I also don't think I would consider them among the worst offenses in baseball because, oh, well, the season statistics would tell you that's the story. Yeah, it was like Tristan McKenzie last season. Yeah, he, he flipped a switch, right, going into the second half, and it was easy to notice the difference in confidence and pitch usage and aggressiveness in the strike zone. So when people are saying like, eh, yeah, he's, he's been okay this year, not very good, ERA around five. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't tell the story whatsoever. And that's why like going into the season, I thought he was a breakout candidate. Not because I'm going to reference his overall statistics from last year, but look at that there's nuance to it. So it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, why am I judging an offense based on what they did when they had Bobby Bradley and Framil Reyes and Yu Chang? Makes no sense. And that's the thing with a young team. And that's why... You know, tie it back into what we were talking about earlier. It's a totally different roster, a totally different mindset, and totally different results from what we saw in April and May. So how you're judging this team should be very different than how you would have judged them early on. They've played better than 600 baseball since late May. That's really good for a long time. And that's what happens when you have young players who are developing while you're contending. You can't answer this, but I think the number one thing that I'm interested to see how it plays out is this team takes advantage of bad defensive teams, teams that aren't focused, teams that don't know what to do with the ball when they get it. That's how they score two runs on infield singles and all the other BS that they do. How does contact play in the playoffs? Because you're facing a lot of pitchers that are going to be utilizing strikeouts as their number one, number one way to get hitters out. When they face a team that makes as much contact in, as Cleveland in the playoffs, how does that impact things? And are, are they still capable of scoring runs against a team that maybe isn't as bad defensively? or maybe is more focused in a playoff game than they are just a you know, random game 149 of the regular season, or just is more talented defensively, more heady, has been there before. All of those things, I, I don't have an answer for it, but I am extremely interested to see how that mm-hmm. plays out. I am too, yeah. I mean, we've seen them get shut down by the Garrett Coles and the Justin Verlanders and Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo. So, I don't know the answer, because you're going to face a lot of those guys in the playoffs. I will say, you know, think back to the crazy 11-inning game in Chicago at the beginning of the week. They only got one run off Dylan Cease, but they made him work like crazy. And if they would have just delivered, it's the same thing as 
that they struggled with against Seattle. You know, if they would have delivered the key hit with runners on base, then they might have knocked Cease out even earlier. So a lot of it's going to depend on just the sequencing, the timing of those hits. But, you know, if they're patient and they make a pitcher work, like they can put themselves in position where they just need the key hit and they'll be fine. But you're right. I, I don't, I certainly can't predict the future. And I don't have any idea if this style will thrive. I, I, I think basically over time, there are probably, you know, if they make the postseason with this style 10 times, it probably works really well half the time and they go home early the other half, you know? It, it's just going to depend, like, can they maintain this the way that they've played the last two weeks where sure. they are delivering time and time again when it matters and they're running themselves into scoring opportunities? You know, if they can... Can, like if they play the way that they've played the last two weeks, I, they can beat anybody. But I don't know. Things get a little tougher. Lights get a little brighter. We'll see. I'm excited to find we out. We'll see. I, I I am extremely excited. And the beautiful thing is, there is going to be much more. And I say much because the bar was set pretty low. Much more baseball discussion in your everyday spots. For the rest of the season and now into the postseason, you're going to be able to turn on your radio and television to hear more Guardians discussion. The nice Guardians thing is, discussion if, or name change attendance. Why is no one paying attention? Discussion. The nice thing is, if you're looking for intelligent baseball talk from two people that have been doing it the entire season, know the ins and outs. We're here for you. Now, one of us is a little bit better than the other in that department. I'll let everyone decide who that is. Who do you think it is? No, don't 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 answer that. I thought you were going to say if you want to hear two intelligent people talk about Guardians baseball, I'll listen to and then name a different podcast. The Dairy Brothers, they know what they're talking about. We don't. <laughs> and, and, and we're not putting them down. Actually, we've discussed before. I love that there are so many good Guardians podcasts out there. Too many to name individually. If you want more smart baseball discussion, and Zach and I plan on, as far as how, how and what this looks like, we're, not, we're still not exactly sure. I know we're, we're planning to do this more often in the postseason for as long as it lasts. I don't know if that means shorter, like 20-minute episodes after each game. I don't know if that means just an additional lengthy episode. We're not sure. If you listen to us on your, all of your normal free spots, we're going to continue doing this usually on Mondays unless – the situation calls for it to be otherwise. But if you want more, join us at Patreon. We, I say this frequently throughout the year, we could not appreciate those that have joined us for that community we have created any more than, than I do. I probably should even appreciate them more because it <laughs> blows me away that we, we have the community that we do. If you want to just feel more involved, have people that you can discuss this with, watch the games with, and hopefully just feel like we're all in your living room with you watching these games. Come join us at Patreon. Come join the Discord. If you join if you join the Patreon, you get the additional episode for $1 per episode, and you get access to the show Discord. It is an excellent community, and I would take credit for that, but really it's because the listeners have taken ownership of the group and made it their own. And, and you know, we pop in there. We have some conversations. 
I enjoyed getting the other night. I, I opened up the 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 audio chat in Discord and chatted with a handful of Guardians fans. It was fun. We watched like the final three innings together. Yeah, you didn't know that because you were busy, you know, doing your job. <laughs> I did not but know. Come you join did that. us. Yeah, it was fun. Patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast. It's it is a lot of fun. You were busy working. Were you gonna come join in the middle of the game? You know nothing actually happens in the press box during the games. Um yeah, I mean it's it's been unbelievable. You're eating all the cookies you can find. <laughs> I I got a beer for a bunch of fans on the last homestand. I met up with Baby Gangster in Texas. Oh, nice. Yeah. So had a Michelob Ultra, I believe, and chatted about Texas A&M football before they knocked off Arkansas next door on Saturday night. So we, yeah, we're greatly appreciative. We, I mean, this is the way this season has unfolded in conjunction with, you know, having our Patreon and, and the Discord just blowing up and I mean, it's, it's so, it makes me laugh every day. It's been awesome. And we hope to continue to grow it and find new ways to connect with all of you and keep building this community. Yeah, I'm looking forward to whatever happens the end of this year and building forward with the, the hundreds of you that have joined us at Patreon. So patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast, where that's where we're going to have all sorts of postseason coverage, in addition to continuing to do the free episode here each and every single week. Uh, your random former Cleveland player of the day is Juan Gonzalez. Got his bobblehead over the weekend. It was a giveaway. Whoa. So let's, let's, we know, we know he hit 35 home runs and 140 RBIs in 2001. But remember him in 2005, his one plate appearance? My hamstring hurts. It hurts my hamstring just to think about it. For Zach, I'm TJ. We're out of here. Bye. It's not easy. Winning's hard. These guys should be so proud. This is organic. This is hey, this is what happiness is. Oh God, hold on. Oh, 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 oh. oh.